I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Bees Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm David Anderson, your host for today, and with great pleasure and a good dose of pain to discuss the playoff first leg, I'm welcoming back scout and analyst Jordan Weimer. Jordan, in Smug Corner, how are you doing? And thank you again for joining us. (laughs) Thanks for having me again. Yeah, it's good to be here. Honorary Brentford fan, as I seem to have become. So yeah, looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, I think um, just discussing before we came on air, I think there's more of a hatred for Bournemouth from your end than me. So uh, the objectionable, <laughs> the objectionable um, angles that I was looking for from you are probably not going to be there. But yeah, no, <laughs> messy. But thanks again for joining us. Um, yeah, let's try and pick this out. Um, I'll pick this apart as well as we can. Um, yeah, so so why are we here? We're gathering for. A playoff discussion. Brentford lost 1-0 to Bournemouth. Um, it was a tight game and I think it probably we did a we did a lengthy preview. That's, um it was it was long, it was it was thorough. I think we went through loads of facets and I think a lot of it came to fruition and some of it didn't, but um I think this is a really good opportunity now to to go through some of those things we identified and then look at the game and then maybe go a little bit granular into the game actually there was a few moments which probably have decided it um as as it tends to happen in these big tight games um so yeah are you ready to go john yeah it's good to it man i reckon from the outset let's go with a little game summary um how did it go for you like what were your so obviously the neutral angle what, what was what were some of the overall um, things you took from the game i mean i was i was kind of surprised how how positive Bournemouth started and also how they were able to continue it for large portions it was a little bit surprising to me I thought it might be a little bit cagey um, it, it was an interesting game it, it didn't go exactly how I thought but I, we did see kind of some of those things we talked about in the sense that those wide areas were just such a threat for Bournemouth um, and it, it, was, it was an interesting one because we talked so much didn't we in the preview about how we'll get it set up and obviously kind of continued continued with that, with that shape and it, it did actually pay off for them in the end so yeah, it's a hard one to put your finger on because I do feel like a 1-0 was almost a little bit unfair in, in some ways. Even though Bournemouth were dominant for large portions, I thought you created some good chances. And obviously there was a couple we'll get into as, as we go on through this. But um, it, it was a strange one, but it did feel 
it did feel to me like there's still there's still plenty to play for in the second leg. It's not not anywhere close to over yet. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I think it's easy let uh, easy to let the outcome of of games like sort of sway opinion of how it went or how well the plan went. I will say I was a little surprised. Sorry, I was a little surprised just based on that previous game you had recently at Bournemouth away. I thought I'd see a little bit more of that uh, in terms of control in the game. Even even if you were having less of the ball, I thought you maybe didn't quite have quite as much control as you did in that previous one when you were, when you were down to ten men. Mm. Um, I thought maybe Bournemouth dictated things a little bit better, but that might be more about Bournemouth than it was Brentford, to be honest. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, yeah, so I, I think the overall plan was fine. I think the the three five two, the shape, um, it, it it worked. I think it controlled large parts of the game, if not a tad blunted. Um, I think the overall idea was to to contain as much as possible, like reduce the transitional moments. Don't let Bournemouth counter-attack basically don't let the the front three cause you any damage um Mm -hmm. defend well when you can um occupy their defenders uh yeah i mean hold on to the ball well like make sure you you're you're good in possession i think we did that in large parts i think there were some sloppy moments but i don't know if that was just the pressure of the tie um -hmm. and and just impose yourself on the game i think we didn't do that as well as I'd have liked, but there, there was that impression that we were there and we were we were going to be a hard play, a hard team to come up against. I, I think from Bournemouth's perspective, um, they'd definitely be happier with the outcome. I think Woodgate will be ecstatic at the result. Um, a little bit of a we spoke about this at length, and it's definitely an angle I was looking at, like whether they had enough to to sort of understand that this they don't they can't go at Brentford full tilt like they have to and I think it was reflected in the selection there's a little bit more edging back and just making sure that it wasn't all out attack and there's a bit more control about their positioning and and let Brentford come onto them a little bit instead of actually just making all the impetus and they got some of those big counter-attacking moments which they were which they're probably hoping for and didn't get in some of the other ties um so yeah, I, I don't want to. I won't go into too much on like the match numbers stuff because, as you were saying, like the last match felt different. I think because we went down, uh, because we were down to ten men, we were able to just sit back a little bit more and pick them off, and they let them come on to us. I think this game differed a little bit; it was a little bit more even throughout. And yeah, hard to draw massive conclusions from that. Um, yeah, anything else? Um, maybe overall yeah. that you were thinking? Um, I was a little bit, a little bit. I mean, I think we talked about in the previous game how there's kind of some look of improvisation from from Bournemouth it doesn't feel heavily coached and I thought that I still feel that that kind of came through a little bit I don't feel like I don't think I don't feel like Bournemouth won that game off the coaching but off the back of coaching I feel like it was a case of just that that talent out wide and some of the pace mm. and power they have it really felt like a, a contrast of styles in so many ways um, it, it's just a kind of unfortunate outcome. But if you have that quality, you always have the opportunity, don't you, to, to come away with those sorts of results. Um, and then another thing I, I saw, just kind of just looking around on Twitter and stuff after the game, I saw a, a fair bit of criticism of the shape of Brentford kind of playing mm. that three at the back again. Uh, is that something that's bit, become a little bit of a, a concern? Because it, I mean, contrast to that, it was a real positive, wasn't it, coming into the that final playoff run in. Uh, I, I still think it's a positive for you, but it seems like there's a little bit of backlash there just because of the, the kind of outcome of that game, perhaps. I think I saw gimmicky being used as a word at one point. Yes, yeah, in- incredible. I saw that as well. Um, I, I, that's why I wanted to say that early on. I think the outcome of stuff can just determine how, like how well it's, it's just the process of it, isn't it? It's like is the three was the three five two the reason why Brentford lost one nil? Probably not, but has it had something to do with it? Maybe slightly, but. Yeah, to to address it as maybe gimmicky or not working, I, I'm not so sure you can say that because for large periods of the game, 
Um, Bournemouth were controlled. Like they had they had more shots on target. Um, shots overall were quite even, but they troubled the keeper a bit more. Um, they had to work really hard to get uh, to get basically these those transitional breakaways, which they did get. They got a couple of them. I think there was three altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, one they scored from one was defended superbly and um, another one broke down I think it might have been called offside I'm not sure but I, I, I don't know I, I think the formation worked well I think uh, if we were looking at it Norgard I think he had the most touches in the game or maybe just behind Kelly for touches so that freedom he got in the middle worked well I think you're now dropping into that into the back line and letting Norgard step forward worked well um, from a defensive point of view Bournemouth had nothing through the middle it was always out wide um, yeah. there, there was no there was no penetration through the middle on goal Solanke had to come short to get to the ball he maybe spun players a couple of times but I, I don't know I, I think maybe from an attacking point of view it wasn't quite what it wanted to be but if you're talking about controlling a game and coming up against a big team in a playoff uh, I I think it worked well. I, I, I'm not sure. We'll probably go on to it a little bit towards the end about the next phase, but I, I don't know how he takes this on into the into the next game and whether there is a bit of a change because of who's back fit. But yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was um, gimmicky or or ineffective for sure. I think it's still it was it was a necessity that there was a change because it's it's got Brentford this far and it's worked. I, I think the fact that because it has seen a defeat, it maybe changes the opinion of of the formation a little bit. Yeah, I think that's fair. And also, too, it's really hard to kind of get into that mindset because of the fact that there's there's the break in between that is a 90-minute game. But you do have to just stay on top of the fact that it is effectively half-time in the tie and you have to kind of you have to kind of keep moving forward. And I think based on the fact that it was a 1-0, 1-0 defeat, but it's still a relatively close game in that sense. You can't get too negative or make too many large assumptions based on, mm. on that one performance because there's, there's enough positives to take away from it. Um Another kind of question, just pretty pretty broad, I guess. But do you think Rico? Do you think that game kind of increases the chances of Rico Henry coming back in to start in the next game? I think so. Yes. Yeah. I do. I do. I think. Um, what do you I, think I, of Canis's positioning in that game? Uh, I think a lot of what he did was. I think he was pinned back quite a lot. I think he did a lot yeah. defensively. Um, I, yeah, I think he was one of the reasons probably we didn't attack as well as we could have done because he was forced back by Brooks and he had to make a lot of defensive contributions. Um, when he did get into the final third, he, I mean, he's canos, he's erratic, um, not great in possession. Um, his shooting is infrequent, but then when he does shoot, he shoots a lot and it's bad. It's, it's just, yeah. he's one of those frustrating players. I think I've done some deep dives into him prior and like, he's just a very defensive he's he's a defensive winger basically he's not someone you want to be relying on as getting your go, like high goal output or high assists um for yeah. a season because he's not accurate enough um so yeah it's, it's just unfortunate i think the balance that with henry coming back well i was just going to say on henry sorry is um i wouldn't have played him in this game unless you're looking at him and thinking he's got a big part to play in the playoff if we think of the playoffs as a mini series like why would you rush him back for this tie unless you had a unless you had a focus of him being involved in the next one or potentially two matches so mm. yeah I, I think he will be involved whether it's a change of shape but to about four I'm not sure but I think there's um, I, th- I think there's definitely a plan to get him back into the starting lineup if possible because um, that left hand side was quite but that was the, I mean even though they attacked quite heavily down your right hand side the left hand side it was very compressed and you end up playing quite quite narrow down that side you didn't really have that width and that outlet you'd maybe kind of be looking for a little bit more I do wonder if there's a little bit of a loss of balance there but that might also be down to the fact you're having to kind of compensate for Bournemouth too it's kind of hard to 
it's hard to have a real balance when you've got a team that's facing you that's very attacking down one side and obviously Brooks yeah, as well exactly. coming in quite centrally so yeah just yeah I guess some of the overall stuff before we go into a bit more granular on them um the, I guess the shape as well actually yeah it probably does lead on to the shape but if, if Bournemouth if Bournemouth as players and individuals defend well and do their jobs well like it, it doesn't really matter what shape you're playing does it I think you're trying to open up, open them up a little bit aren't you you're trying to get as much space for your players as possible but if if the, if in these in like individual matchups like Cook and Kelly I think they defi- they defended actually quite well Carter yeah. Vickers as well um there's not really much you can do if um, if they are given a situation one v one. They stand up well, they time their tackles well, and it goes out. Or like we're not talking about Messi or Ronaldo here, or like these sorts of players. You can go past players at will. You still have to you still have to unsettle defenders. You still have to trick your way past them, or good passes, or get them out of position. And I and I I think um, largely on the whole that they did their jobs well. Um, mm. Another thing, actually, I did notice, which I was quite surprised about, I think um, I was quite harsh on how... I didn't think Bournemouth had the defensive know-how to, to play this game. And they did shock me a little bit. I don't know if that was more the early process of Brentford, how they um, how they sort of went to attack in the early phases. I think there were a couple of long balls and it allowed Cam Carter-Vickers to sort of grow into the game, which I didn't like the look of. I thought just chip balls towards him where they let him one a couple get him has, get his head onto it. Another one was he just had to sort of shepherd it back to the keeper. One went into Tony's chest and it bounced off. The keeper got the ball. It, it just set a rhythm of okay, this is going to go long early and mm. we can watch this. And, and I think he just grew in confidence. And there was um, uh, I think... I think there was another moment early on where he did look slightly out of position, but just quickly recovered. I think he, because of the confidence he gained, and it was it was that it was just that early. Mm, okay, are we are we going to go long a bit too much here? And then should Tony have been deeper? Because I uh, I think what you were talking about as well, just um, that little imbalance on the left hand side. I, I thought Force struggled a bit out there, and he didn't yeah. know whether to come short or whether to go wide or where to pick up the ball and. Uh, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit about Pearson a bit later. But I think he did well in just shepherding him out there. So, I will say too with that with that kind of early long ball. I, I think that's one of the things that kind of did benefit Bournemouth is yeah because they had that pace and power coming from wide areas. A lot of the time, they you know you were kind of forced into playing a little bit safe, and naturally it's going to go a little bit longer. And that's that's exactly what kind of as you say, Cam Carter-Vickers. That's what he wants to do. I don't think he's a great defender in space. Um, I think I think Bournemouth as a team look a lot a lot different defensively when they have to drop back in in kind of in sections and kind of start to creep back in the, in, the, in that back line getting close towards their own goal. I don't think they're great in defending a space as a team in general. Um, I think you kind of look for those individual matchups and those sort of physical duels like the likes of Cook and and uh, Carter Vickers there. That's what they kind of need to play in, and that 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 style of play does suit them. It allows them to to defend like that, which is good, but. I mean, I think you have to try and find ways to to break them down with a little bit more, little bit more patience. But it's hard to kind of play out of those situations when you have the likes of Dan Juma running at you at full mm-hmm. speed. Um, naturally, things are going to move a little bit quicker. And if your front two aren't able to, I don't think I don't think Brentford did a particularly good job of unsettling them with the front two. I think it, yeah, for, sure. for me, there are too many too many occasions where they're back to back, or that you know Tony's backing into Cook and. I'm not sure that's what you want. I think you want to pull them into positions that makes it difficult for them to play in. Even if it's not the most comfortable uh, for your front two, I would still fancy them over, over the two defenders they're up against in, in those situations. So if you could find ways to kind of either drag them in or pull them out wide to kind of find these areas to play in, 
Um, I think keeping them away from the edge of their box and keeping them away from the centre of the pitch as much as possible is what you want because if you look at kind of the average positioning of, of Bournemouth too, Adam Smith was extremely high in that game too. There was actually a fair amount of space during that 90 minutes that, you know, Canos wasn't able to kind of pin him back. It was it was very... It was, the tempo of the game was kind of decided by Bournemouth, which is difficult to counteract. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. I do I agree. I, I think it, a, a lot of that does probably come down to force. I think um, uh, maybe some of his inexperience about... Um, I think you're given a role, aren't you? You're given the role as the last line, or, or staying at just being at the focal point of the team, and but just with just keeping on that left hand shoulder a little bit, maybe like the left half space, or just down that down that wing. Yeah. Um, if you, as you probably develop as a player, if it's if you're not receiving the ball or it's not working, or another team's seen you coming, you have to alter your position a little bit. Like you have to move right, you have to come deeper, or you have to maybe try and get the ball up and let Tony be the person that goes beyond. There's, there's just got to be a couple of adjustments. But I'd like to see a little bit more. I'd like to see a little bit more of um, of force dropping, just dropping into some some other spaces, and not always not always going up against the centre backs. And you know, if you have someone. If you have someone like Fosu that could even make some some runs for a little bit further forward and kind of play off and just give them some variation in in movement uh, and and don't become predictable because I think that was maybe something that ended up happening was things did look a little bit predictable in attack and that's kind of down to obviously circumstance if you're playing direct you're just trying to hang on a little bit at times it's not going to be the most kind of considered build up but um, I do think more can be done there I, I think that was something that maybe not going to say complacent, but I think maybe there could have just been more adjustments in the game to kind of help that help that build up and also just kind of slow slow Bournemouth down. Um, they had a little bit too much control and they were too they perhaps found it a little bit too easy to get the ball get the ball out wide quickly because that is really where that threat came from. That centre there wasn't too much of an issue for you throughout that night. It was just those kind of wide areas. Obviously, Brooks coming in has the ability to play centrally um, and kind of play those sent them then passes through the middle and obviously we saw for the goal too that sort of movement and that sort of that sort of execution of the pass can be deadly but uh, you controlled the you controlled the center pretty well it's just finding the kind of utilizing that that advantage you could potentially have from some of those weak points in Bournemouth that just didn't think it was done quite enough mm. yeah continuing on with probably Cook for a little bit because he he did actually go off injured he was forced into an injury which um, I, was, I was struggling how to feel no, how to feel about that. I was thinking, okay, that's good. Um, they're maybe their strongest defenders off, but at the same time, did I want him on? Is that is he also a weakness as well? Um, I think there was a big moment where the ball was bouncing around in the middle, and Tony first time played it in behind Cook, and it was just it was into the space. It was a good ball. It wasn't perfect, but it just wasn't far enough to give force just enough like space to get his legs open and get beyond Cook and Cook showed a good turn of pace and I, I thought it was a moment force was in but then force just took a little bit too long to get going and um, Cook made a sliding recovery tackle and that was probably what they're hoping for actually it was the exact like as much as force was anonymous in moments and didn't really get into the game that he did get the sight of the keeper a ball and it was just a last ditch tackle which stopped him getting a clean run on goal so some of these moments aren't recorded in like um maybe some of the numbers that you're looking at but there was still a really close opportunity there which was defended well I think that just goes back to what I was saying like if you if you create or if you put them in situations where defenders are asked to do if they don't do what they need to do something's going to happen in terms of you scoring a goal then 
Yeah, you. you I just wish really Forster a little do. bit more imposing. You know, I, when, mm. I, when I watch him play, I just wish he had. I wish he had a little bit more. He's obviously a talented footballer, and I just think it's, it's, there's a lot to there's a lot of room for him to grow. Don't get me wrong; he's only a young guy, but I think there are just a few occasions where I just want to see a little bit more aggression, a little bit more kind of impetus in, in some of his movement too. But it, it's tough because Steve Cook's a difficult difficult player to play against. He's not. He's not an easy one, and I think you have to, as we, as we just said a minute ago, I think you have to try and find ways to get these get these defenders into uncomfortable situations because they're both pretty similar too in in terms of what they're good at, um, and it, you know it, it's just one of those things, isn't it? It's, it's difficult because you're trying to pick your poison a little bit there, and <laughs> it, it's not it, it's not easy to do, especially when you're kind of playing against that sort of that powerful team that's kind of running at you constantly. It's, it's hard to find that way, but I think in this, I think the second leg will be much different. Um, I think that actually they're going to be coming coming into the game in, in a different menta- with a different mentality. And that, I think it's going to help you guys out quite a lot. Um, I think the, the kind of complexion of the game might be quite a bit different. Obviously, I'm not going to get into the next game too much just yet. Um, but just in terms of the, kind of that approach from Bournemouth, I think it's difficult to kind of replicate that in the next fixture. Uh, just observing, I, I think Brentford used all five subs across the match and Bournemouth only used three, which I think shows a little bit about um, maybe not the desperation to get back in, but um, Bournemouth were forced into one change. Cook actually went off injured and Mepham came in. So really they've only made two changes like out yeah. of choice. Um, Brentford made all five, which showed, I think, Frank's urgency to get back into the game and maybe try and get it level. And I, I think he had a good... Uh, there was a good impact and good impetus off those subs, which um, was pleasing to see. Um, I think overall, like Bournemouth's defensive improvements and maybe how that's probably what shocked me the most from but just a, just an overall assessment. Um, they defended well, and I don't know how much that was from them learning and just looking at some of the things that Brentford did well when they played the 10 men match um, last time. But I, I found that that was something I that was something I couldn't get beyond just thinking how Bournemouth do defend better and improve and I, I think that unit that double pivot of Pearson and Lerma just sat in front of um, Cook and uh, Carter Vickers I think that worked well as a square and I think it did disrupt enough that it confused force and it didn't allow the ball to get to him easily and then Tony had enough people around him to, to prevent him from ever getting really space or a clean strike or I think he only ended up with one shot in the end um, which is quite low for him um, yeah so I, I guess actually shots maybe that's a good thing to actually talk on now as well so uh, I did mention it earlier a bit four shots on target for Bournemouth just the one for Brentford um, Zabegovic is definitely a lot quieter in the game maybe he did some cleaning up in terms of um, just some scrambles which he got onto well and uh, just did when he was uh, like cleared the ball well and was asked of when he was asked upon he, he didn't do too badly um, Rare was definitely the busier good double save at one point I think actually the second might have been blocked by Tony but that was a good double save from Brooks um, uh, yeah a lot of the shots fell to Norgard which was probably quite frustrating I think he ended up with the most shots for Brentford with three um, ten of the shots were off target uh, just good bodies around the box when Brentford was shooting and when they're in positions and I think that was that was just Bournemouth defending well in good numbers and just some of the slower possessions from Brentford it was just difficult to get clear movements but However much I'm talking about Bournemouth defending well, um, the biggest chances of the game, probably other than the big counter-attack with Dan Juma, which when he's actually shooting that, it's probably a little bit harder than uh, our perceptions are, are making us feel because of the time, like Janssen sliding in on him, he's at a slightly different angle. The biggest chance of the game had to have fallen to Mbemo when he's just sliding in 
loses control and this ball goes wide um maybe it's a good time to talk about that because as much as I was saying Bournemouth have improved defensively like the biggest chance of the game definitely fell to Brentford yeah I think I think Bournemouth improved defensively I think a large part of that too is I think it's kind of that defending from the front attitude and and forcing uh, forcing Brentford into playing a different style of you know attack because of how how effective they were at getting forward from those wide areas and I think it changed the complexion of the game and just kind of really changed the approach but as you say that that opportunity from Brentford I mean that's the game right there, isn't it? That's the opportunity to get back in it and really kind of feel completely different about this this result. And it's a it's just a bad miss, isn't it? Unfortunately, um, it, it is a stretch, but it seemed like it was within his is in his range. And it's difficult. He's had a real tough season. It looked like he was kind of turning things around a little bit towards the end. And you, you hope he's able to get there and finish it. But I mean, it's a great opportunity and it's, it's a great effort to get the ball to him. But it just wasn't. Just wasn't good enough, unfortunately. And sometimes you just got to say it, it, it wasn't good enough, and he, he should have done better. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe um, I'll um, I'll use my Mbemo stuff now. I think <laughs> I, th- I think that was an abysmal miss. I, I don't think there's any other description for it. I think if you're thinking about the yeah. context of the game, um, what it means, how free he is, how obvious the ball is that it's coming along um, on his strong foot. I don't know. I, I can't describe it. Anything. It's just a terrible, terrible miss. I, I think um, watching Mbomo closely this season, um, maybe it's a good yeah time to talk about big chances. I guess like Opta tag them as big chances. Uh, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of them. They're like inherently biased. It's just big moments in games when you feel like you can see the goal and a striker has an opportunity, or someone shooting can see the whites of the keeper's eyes. You're clear. But I think when some of these shots are actually happening, they're actually a lot harder than maybe some of these like loggers or coders are giving them. But we we've got a little um, a shot model and we can. We can um, classify some shots, and I think anything over like thirty-five percent, we just code as like a big chance. And we've got—I think we've got Mbemo missing ten this season, which is mm. insane. If you're thinking about like this is a, this, it, just watching the ch- goal, just watching the shot back now, it's actually a little bit more central than I remembered. I was thinking oh. in my head is a little bit wider of the goal, but it's really not. Is it? It's very it's, no. I think I think the camera angle gives you the idea that he is actually further along than he is, but he's he is quite central, yes. And I, I think that's also where maybe his technique or, or his perceptual positional understanding lets him down a little bit like at that moment are you thinking you're if you're right in front of goal maybe you go forwards or you go for the slight bottom corner but I think with shots like that you're always looking to try and get round the ball and back towards goal as in the other way like where it's come from I, yeah that's how I'm thinking especially on your strong side I think if you're on your weaker side and you can't quite adjust your body as naturally as your strong side then that's understandable but I do understand him going away from Begovic in some ways too though well, but yeah, I'm not I, sure. I, I challenge on that one because Begovic is out of the game. There, he's 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 got to pay to get back in. He's so far out of goal. Like it's it's. I I do know what you mean. Like you don't want ever the goalkeeper to get back in place if you go in that near corner. But I, I think, think the speed I think if of the he move, just the, the pace the ball's coming in. If he's directing that ball, if he's if he's just literally shooting in front of him, it doesn't have to be going for bottom left corner. If he's just going the direction just straight. Mm. He's going to score. It's just if he goes back across goal, it's the only place Begovic is at that point. Yes. I, know yeah, yeah. I know we're trying to like dissect something that happened in a split second and, and say what should have been done better or whatever. It's, it's you know it's, it's it's very easy to do, but it's just a bad miss, isn't it? And I think that was that was the opportunity there. That was the first piece that I can really think of that you felt like Brentford were kind of putting together their style of attack and they were actually able to, to open Bournemouth up quite easily in some ways, actually. I thought once you did get to that more traditional Brentford approach um, in, in terms of kind of pulling players around, and obviously Norgard's getting forward there and pulling that ball across the box, it, it, it's a much different team. 
Um, and that was at a time of the game where you were slowly starting to get a little bit more control. And I think that's the difference. It's, it was too chaotic early on. Um, once things settled down, you were able to kind of get a little bit of control there and build up in your fashion. You see how easy it is in some ways to actually break Bournemouth down. And I think they lose a little bit of that defensive structure once that, as we say, once that game starts to slow down a little bit and you start to kind of ease your way in. But that chance right there, I mean... Yeah, I'm just just going back and watching it again. I think you are right. Maybe I was a little bit too generous with the the criticism there. I think it's a it's a must score opportunity, and to not score it is is pretty criminal. Yeah, I, I think it's terrible. I think the the timing, the context, like how long he's been on. Um, another part I don't get as well is why he he sort of moves his body into like an uncontrolled state, like sliding forward. And and I, I, I think it's hard to understand how quickly that ball is coming across unless we were in that exact position. But I, I feel like on his stronger side that he could have yeah. got there without slinging he himself with the ball leads, like that. He almost leads... I know we're really getting granular right now, but he really—he almost leads his right foot and then rediverts to the left foot. It's a strange motion he takes towards the ball. Yeah, it almost looks like he's going to try and take a touch or just kind of hit it with the outside of his right foot, and then he kind of yeah. swings his left foot forward almost, almost late. It, to me, it looks like he makes a decision late with his left foot. Um, it's bizarre. And, so it, I think um, it's it's not it's not quite a stutter before he gets to the ball, but it's almost like there's the stride yeah. before is confusing in that. Maybe maybe it has happened quicker than he thought, and he has to react quickly again. But I it's think like his right, his right step is is more exaggerated than it needs to be, and it yeah. it's not his normal gait. He just kind of takes a longer right stride, and then he has to kind of almost has to move. <laughs> he almost has to move his left foot to get to the ball too quickly to control it. You know, mm. too quickly to control the angle of the, of the shot. It's just it, it's just a very it's just a very unorthodox odd approach to the shot. Basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, be sure to tune in to David and Jordan's uh, sort of personal training, physical mechanics <laughs> podcast when it comes out. We'll let you into that. Another See, this is actually this time. is actually the perspective I'm trying to look at this from. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I am trying to think what is the. Yeah, we should it, add actually. Not, quickly, Jordan is a personal trainer, and I'm training to. I'm almost a qualified personal trainer, so there is a bit more interest in like some of this body shape stuff. So if it sounds like we're just picking bones in um, these elite athletes being terrible, there's a bit more to it than that. <laughs> yeah, there is some. There are some basic mechanics we're looking at, and obviously, it's, there's some variation if you're talking about kind of optimal performance from a from like an explosive pace or strength or something. It's, it's maybe a little bit easier to quantify when you're talking about the perfect kind of shot mechanics. It's something a little bit different, but you can translate some of that to it. And mm. if you look at just kind of looking and trying to analyze what what and when I was doing there, it everything is very off. His gait is off. His his kind of move. His, his, everything's kind of out of out of sync. And that, I think when you look back at it, you just look at the way he approaches that shot. There's he reduces a, a high quality chance and makes it very difficult just from this kind of actual yeah, movement but exactly. I'm sorry Mbwemo if you're listening because this has been very critical of you <laughs> not trying to be but it's just one of those things where mm. when you have a when you have a miss like that that's so glaring you have to or you at least for your own sanity want to try and look at how it could happen because it can happen to anyone it just is unfortunate it happens to someone that's had a few struggles this season yeah if it, that's the thing as well it's it's like um a friend messaged me saying oh he'll put the next one away and then i realized he's not quite watched as much of brentford and Mbemo as i thought and uh i had to say mm. that he's actually missed quite a lot of these sorts of situations this season it's been it's been a recurring theme and a li- like why the formation has changed is to is to prevent canos and um, Mbemo getting in on these on these chances and just get force or tony on them instead and Unfortunately, the biggest chance of the game has fallen to Mbemo, which is unlucky in itself. But the one, um, the one that really sticks out to me is I think about 
I'm pretty sure it's Derby away when I think he won the penalty. Uh, there, I, there, was a, there was a bad miss in that game too, wasn't there? Um, but I think about just him as a as a player, as an athlete, the, I think the ball came to him kind of in the corner of the box and he takes a touch, but it's such a strange touch away from goal. I don't think he even really... And, and he wins the penalty. It's just a... I find him more difficult yeah. to predict how he's going to how he's going to move on the pitch and kind of the the options he takes and I just find him very unpredictable and hard to kind of really get a handle on. Yeah, I think um, the chance you're talking about is like why it's almost as if why has that situation turned into him winning a penalty and it's not just slotted in? It's it was one of yeah. those, wasn't it? I, I'm, I'm trying to picture it properly in my head. I may have to go back and quickly look. If I do have time whilst we're chatting, I will do. But it's yeah, it's it's him himself. I think I've I've mentioned this before. He's almost like a he's almost like a golfer that needs to needs to sort of go back and just redo their swing. I think he has a lot of... The way he holds his body can seem unorthodox at time. And I, I, I don't think... I think this is some of the fallacies of scouting, that body shape and stuff like that makes you think more or less of a player. But I, I think Mbomo does have some balance issues on the ball. I think how he receives the ball is strange sometimes. I think how he holds players off. Um, I think his first touches, because of his body shape, can be a little uncoordinated. And, and, and there is work that needs to be done. But again, he's a, an early 20s player. Like There's lots of time here. But... Um, I, I don't see them getting better. I see them. I see these things getting worse with him. But maybe mm. there is, um, maybe there is a lot more to come, and uh, and um, he'll 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 balance out a little bit. I mean, he you do sometimes get that with players that are strong on the, on one side and just but but still have that physique that is a little bit more bull and barrel like, um, not such a tall, mm. wiry player who has a better balance. Um, he is, it might just be something that he he's stuck with because of his physicality. Um, yeah, because well, he's also got some power too. It's like he, it's like he almost kind of hits that acceleration too hard at sometimes. At some points, there's kind yeah. of a, it's, yeah, I know what you mean. There's, there's, a, there's not, he's not quite fluid. It's, it's kind of on or off. Like his foot's in the pedal or it's not, and it's, it can little, it can be a little bit kind of, a little bit wild. Okay, Before, uh, so we won't go too much more on um, individuals. We'll save that for a little bit. Um, but yeah, just maybe finishing up on some of the shape stuff because I, I think we spoke about like the matchups, and you were quite happy with the matchup. I, I was sure Bournemouth were going to change formation. I thought they'd move into like a back three, three five two themselves to match up with Brentford, but they didn't. They stuck. Um, they stuck with their back four. They were, they pretty much sat for a lot of the game in like a four two four or a four a four two one three with Billing just connecting with the front um, front three wherever he could. Mainly out on the left, actually. A lot of his, if you look at some of his networks, a lot of them are with Dan Juma and Kelly out on that left hand side, just trying yeah. to overload that wing, pin Roselev back, um, cause Janssen trouble, like trouble, and get Dan Juma on the ball. And then on the other side, on the ball far side, it was Brooks that was. Um, Brooks I think he just played a blinder didn't he really I think there was a moment where he went off injured and then one of the coaches came up to him and just whispered in his I think you can kind of see what he's saying like when the ball's on the far side come narrow like come central because I think they understood that they could easily get through a bit of Brentford pressure like some high pressure and you you see it on the goal and maybe this is a good time to move into the goal actually Um, when when that ball for Brentford is up on that right wing high up and um, uh, Janssen's on the ball Roselev's not crossed it in um, you can see Brooks there just waiting and lurking just watching the whole situation I think he's almost in the centre circle at this point I think in, there's a, maybe in the previous chat we had you asked me if Brook played, Brooks played centrally and I think he is very good at coming in narrow and being like a second striker position or or just um, that that overload on the, other, on the opposite wing yeah. um, as an option to release quickly and as the ball escapes the challenge it goes out to him and uh, the, yeah, he he drives on. Um, 
But let's move back a little step. So I think we've, we've spoke about like how the matchups work. I think the three five two and the fourth, it, it was a it was a tight game. I think there was a couple of moments where Bournemouth did get completely free, and um, Brentford were a little bit disappointed with those, like um, maybe some of the counter pressing and where they were positioned. But Bournemouth did move away, and um, yeah, I reckon it's good to good to chat about the goal here and how maybe some of the shape has led to that goal. So yeah. Agreed. I, I think I will say quickly first, um, I do think we, we kind of didn't really discuss too much about Brentford changing shape, um, kind of coming into this one. We kind of expected them to stay the same, um, which I think is fair. I think it was justified. But I do think I do think Woodgate's kind of input to this game, we kind of did see is that they, they were built around exploiting those kind of outside centre-backs as much as possible. And mm. um, I, I think with the goal too, that's kind of one of those situations where it does, you know, it does happen. You've got you got Pinnock out there in a wide position and whilst he's kind of covering the he's naturally doing a good job of covering that outside run because it's so central at that point the kind of threat is actually that that ball across and and Brooks does a really good job there of kind of biding his time and, and playing that ball but you know this is this is one of the weaknesses of a, of a back three especially when you have a, a centre-back that is in the more advanced position like Jansen was there and you know you lose possession it's going to be you're going to be exposed and I think Bournemouth really gambled on, on on finding kind of weaknesses within that back three, or, or trying to isolate those wing backs and, and find that space, and they did a pretty good job of that. Um, which is, you know, it's maybe something you had to consider going into this game. We talked previously about how their threat was there, their qualities out wide. Uh, are you taking risks by playing such a system? But I do think Brentford have the capability to play it more effectively. But in this situation, this is kind of worst case scenario for a back three against a kind of a more almost front three at this point mm. yeah it was definitely exploited and I, I think it was absolutely a, a tactic of theirs Brooks didn't play in the defeat towards the end of the season um, I think St- yeah, Stanislas started that match and it was it was almost like chalk and cheese watching the two players play that role like um, Stan- Stanislas is obviously right footed comes in on his right foot or wants to move forward before coming in Brooks just makes that diagonal movement straight towards goal before doing anything else and um, when he's receiving that ball, well, yeah, but we'll step back and talk about the goal prior. But just when he first receives the ball, his touch just takes him in field and sort of unsettles Pinnock. And Pinnock, even Pinnock, because he's left footed, has to he, he can't move on to his right there. He'd have to stretch his, his left leg lock. And he doesn't want to engage in a tackle there. He wants to just jockey and slow the move down. And it, Brooks just, with one touch, just opens up the whole side of the pitch. And it's it's lovely to see. Yeah, I don't think Pinnock does anything wrong. I think Pinnock no, is doing no. the right, the the right kind of right defensive work there. He he comes across well, and he he's trying to push him outside. Naturally, he wants to push Brooks outside, but when Philip is, uh, when Billing sorry is kind of driving on it, it makes it very difficult for you to cover that that back post. And it's, I think you have to give credit to Billing there too because Solanke's still a little bit deeper, and and Billing pushes on to create that space. And honestly, that. It's a pretty perfectly count, um, executed counter attack as it happens. It's just it's one of those things where if you leave a little bit of space, you kind of hope there's going to be some sort of some sort of self inflicted mishap from Bournemouth, but they they just execute uh, to the kind of most elite level they possibly could in that situation. It's a great ball, there's some good runs in there, and it's just absolute punishment for a mistake. You couldn't have been punished any harder. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was absolute perfection. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The delaying. I think. I think Brooks receiving the ball as the first escape ball out of that, um, out of that play in the, in deep in Brentford's half is the, is also another benefit. If that was Solanke, probably mm-hmm. the move doesn't go as well. Even if it's Danjuma, it might not be as executed as well. It was just that the, Brooks. These was are the things we're talking about. 
these are things we're talking about too though when it comes to Bournemouth these are the sorts of areas where you don't script for this sort of thing you don't plan for this sort of thing so much this is this is something that comes out naturally from some quality players on the pitch that, that mm-hmm. know how to counter-attack it's not you're not on the training ground working out how you know how you're going to counter-attack when Pontus Janssen loses the ball in the right-hand corner this is something that comes from you know these again improvised attacking players and it's not it's not always a criticism you know moments like this you can see it's worth it but if you look at the balance of the game this is definitely the most threatening moment and it's not quite there in, at these times when they don't have it has to be kind of chaotic for them to be most effective I think and this is just a prime example of that for me running at pace uh, running at power and a little bit of quality there from Brooks to kind of bide his time and play that perfect ball and that gets them the goal and I think I think that was the difference in the day yeah yeah it was a lovely finish we won't go we won't dwell too much on the finish I mean it is what it is like it was a good pass um a good touch opened his body up and just beats rare well into the bottom corner it was yeah it was nice I mean we've seen Ben Rama do that hundreds of times it's nothing special yeah. I guess we should look at Janssen though in the situation a bit shouldn't yeah we? absolutely so let's move back a few steps so um I don't know if I saw this B's tactical poll on this I'm not sure but um basically the question marks are like it's a phase of play so Brentford are in attack um uh, the ball moves out right. Um, it's a slow, long possession, like in the end. But before that, it's not. I think Fossu gets the ball. He's he exchanges a couple of passes with Rozlev, and there's opportunities for the ball to be tossed into the box. Um, it felt like it should have gone in. I think it's those sorts of assumptions are us watching the game and we're thinking, right, you've got it there. You've got one player to beat. Just put in a cross. And I think players are coached out of that mindset. They're, they're told, like, assess who's in the box. Um, long, loopy crosses are not actually that valuable. Um, if you can keep possession and retain possession and then create a cross from maybe slightly further in or, or another midfielder can break forward, you can work a better position. But bearing even all of those things in mind it felt like Rose they should have still put this in because there's a still that I've seen where Tony's in the box no I think Tony's on the edge of the box sorry Force is in the box um Canos has made a run on the back post where he's free. I think he's unmarked. I think Jensen's able to make a nice run in as well. So it, I don't know there's there's an opportunity for it to go in but Roselev delays and then uh at this stage every, there's so many players advanced to the ball I think there's only maybe 3 behind behind the ball in the end but Fossu's in the box and Tony moves in at this stage um, and the next the next sort of thing to happen is as a player like you're, you're looking at how can I support this person on the ball so Fossu's not really rushed out to the wing to get it again um, it's actually Janssen that just progresses up the pitch and offers himself so at this moment you're now looking at just behind the ball I think it's Pinnock and Norgard um, there's not there's not much protection here. So Janssen's gone beyond Roslev. He's received the ball and he sort of cuts inside, um, takes a step and he sort of telegraphs this like lazy outside of the... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Football, football yeah. in field, and everyone can see that it's going there. I think he should probably go cautionally and go back, but what he's the person he's going back to should be himself. Like that's where he should be receiving that ball to go back. So. Um, played inside it's been picked off him um, the ball yeah the ball inside has been picked up um, Yanelt goes screaming in to try and counter press and win that ball then because he's got to commit to that if he, he needs to clean that out like foul get the ball or anything and then the breakaway happens but what uh, how do you how do you see the phase? Have I like have I described it as as it is, or was there something? What no, I think I think it, it pretty it much yeah, I think it pretty much. I think maybe you could say I'd say maybe if there's any other criticism in the rest of the team there. I think maybe Jensen's positioning is something that could have helped a little bit more. Um he's kind of kind of drifting. As in out like rushing out to the right to to sort of to, well, to support just, the ball. Just when when yeah, I mean he's he's kind of in the box. He's kind of in the box ready to be active in there and the ball comes in. When it doesn't he doesn't really kind of move back. Uh Fossey's there to try and try and give an option. But I think the problem is Fossey Fossey makes that run towards the towards the goal which just kind of opens up that little bit of space you'd hope Jensen would be in there just to kind of pick up the ball from from Jansen and I think maybe Jansen doesn't really have the options and he's, he's not the most comfortable position for him so he tries to play the ball away from his own goal which is fine but obviously it becomes a real costly loss because it's not as you say it's a very telegraphed pass and I do think if if maybe Jensen had done a better job of getting back into that kind of more midfield position to, to help out in that situation maybe you would have been able to retain the ball and, and keep keep working it but you know it's difficult because this this kind of event could go extremely unnoticed had Jansen completed the pass to Fosu and it would have been all been fine but I think if you're looking back at it and trying to isolate where the issue is I do think the the players weren't quite quick enough to to reorganize once that ball didn't come in the box yeah yeah I agree I think um Jensen what I'd like to see in that situation, yeah, is Jensen or Fossu rushing out to the right so that Jansen doesn't make that movement to support him. And I think maybe they were shocked that it's not coming as well, like the ball as, as being crossed in. And they've decided that, 
um, yeah, they're not going to alter their positions. They, they're not needed in that sort of quick, isolated phase of possession. It's hard to know what's going through players' minds because it's just all so, yeah, it all happens so quickly. But it wouldn't have at all surprised me either just to see in that situation, just to see Janssen simply just knock it off Kelly, you know, just hit the ball into Kelly, get the throw in, and, and kind of drop back into position. Yeah, um, exactly, it, it's, yeah. it wouldn't be uncommon to see all those things. And it's difficult because, you know, these things can go unpunished a lot of the time. Um, most of the time, it probably would have done that or. You, know, you might have completed the pass or Bournemouth don't kind of execute you just got there's one situation which is kind of it seems more notably bad because of where Janssen's positioned um, but it just happens to be the, the occasion you got punished at the, the maximum degree um, I don't think it's something you can really you can't you can't put too much it's a flu, football's a fluid game and I think if you go back and isolate every second of the game you're going to see mistakes or, or things that could have been done better all over the pitch but sometimes those kind of mistakes in inverted commas allow you to be in a position to capitalise on other things too because you know you have to you have to accommodate the other team and all these things there's so many variables going on at once um, it's maybe a little bit unfair to kind of pinpoint on all these players but I think that one is just more evident because of Janssen I think that's the real thing that kind of makes it stand out also, too, because of the previous game with Janssen as well against Bournemouth, and then he kind of had that piggyback yellow card as well at some point too. Um, just lots. He's just he's just involved at all. He's just always involved, isn't he? He is always involved. That's um, that's our Pontus. Maybe too involved. We're too involved. But that, so that let's um, maybe just uh, just to round up. I think there has been a lot of talk about like what's he doing there, or why is he there, or or why is he so far up the pitch. But if you if you look at this formation and like the ideas behind it, like. The, the right centre back is probably going to end up getting himself upfield. And over the last, I'm not sure how many games it is now that's been played, maybe five games or whatever. You you can see Chanson's touches are get becoming more and more advanced up the field, and he is he hasn't ever got that advanced <laughs> that I've noticed, or maybe I've missed a couple. But there are a, he is moving way up the field, way beyond the halfway line, and just making a few touches in that like deep right area mm. or towards that right area. So. It's it's been coming like it's not actually that unusual that he is up there. I think what is unusual is being exploited and punished in a counter attack like that. Like not many teams have that accuracy to finish you off. But um, he, was much, he, was, he was much wider though. Just go, just go and look at his heat maps as well. He was yeah yeah he was forced a little bit wider in this game in that right centre back. Often he's kind of he's able to play quite narrowly considering he's playing on the back three but I think the kind of the width and power of Dan Juma just kind of forced him a little bit wider than normal and that's that's what we talked about if, you, if you're going to if you're going to play Janssen there I think he does need to have that support from his wing back and as soon as he gets into those wide positions it can become difficult for him and in possession I, I don't blame him for getting forward I don't think you shouldn't take those opportunities to get forward you just have to be you have to be so efficient with your possession otherwise it can lead to those situations and and maybe he's not the most kind of comfortable on the ball. Perhaps he's not the player you want playing in those forward areas. But you know, it's, it's something that he can do. It, it's just, as I said, this this is the occasion where he got punished. Mm. Yeah, it, it just it just feels a little bit not quite optimal. Like having him do those those sorts. It's not. Of things. It's probably it's probably the most considering how Brentford operate. They I know you've had the injuries, so it's definitely dis- disrupted things. But mm. for the most part, you seem to recruit in a, in a manner which fits your style of play, and you know, not not too many square pegs in this in this situation. Obviously, a change of shape is kind of maybe messed things up a little bit for you in that sense. But Janssen's definitely the one where you look at and you think, okay, he's kind of he's kind of having to get through games here, playing a little bit out of position. It's not quite the same as everyone else. You kind of feel quite confident in their in their role. This is definitely the kind of slightly odd one out. But I think you trust. 
you probably it's probably easy to trust Jansen in a sense because he's got that experience and you kind of feel quite good about him as a professional and able to play within that role and, and, and make it his own but it's not a natural fit I would say yeah and um, maybe Charlie Good was the answer like a little bit more of a um, yeah. sort of uh, I know he's had a, lots of injury issues and um, some stuff off the field which has affected him but maybe that that sort of a bit more on the ball and just a bit more travelling and just a bit more counter pressuring and the ability to the ability to just hold off a bit more pressure when he is in possession. Um, or even Jansen as a central defender is that an option or is it not? Um, not in a not. I don't think he'd get much. Well, he has played there. Yeah, he's definitely played in that role. But I think you don't get as much from the, the idea is you got to get Norgard and Yanelt into a midfield somehow. And I think this is a nice way to do it. Um, it, Would Norgard not could could Norgard not play that outside centre role though? Um, I think then you're prohibiting him from a little bit of his game, aren't you? I think you're yeah. giving him that touchline, and you want him central. He's got the, he's probably one of the quickest. He's quicker than Janssen, basically. Um, yeah. I think you get him on the ball. He gets lots of touches. He's adventurous enough with his passing. So, with each of these decisions, you're sort of trying to maximise another decision, but without reducing that for the team. So it's really hard to put this team together. And um, yeah, we might explore that in a little bit. Um, do you think um, so before I go? Yeah, before we go into more individuals, I think we have picked out a few. But do you, do you th- did Bournemouth improve massively, and, and why do you think that is? Like that's something I was just thinking about. I don't think they improved. I don't think they improved massively. I just think they had the impetus in their performance. I think they, were just, they just really went for it, and I think that's when Bournemouth play at their best. I think Bournemouth are, re- are, re- are a reactive team on the pitch, um, and they play best within that chaos of attack. And I think they just they just did a good job of getting at you and being direct and being aggressive for large portions of the game I just think you struggle to to really find that control and I think Brentford have to play with a level of control you're very you're very opposing teams you're very different in how you how you approach games and I think it was just a bad matchup in the end because Bournemouth were able to kind of dominate for large portions because of that aggression and just just the manner in which they played I don't see tons of performances overall I think if you I think I'd expect to see some of those same frailties come up in the next fixture um, that we'd seen kind of earlier on from Bournemouth, and especially towards kind of the end of the season, and um, the last couple of games, they do have holes in the team. Um, I think once once they kind of have to revert back to somewhat more of a passive game plan, I think they'll start to come through again. Um, I'm, I wouldn't be too convinced that that Bournemouth have turned a corner or anything like that. Yeah, I tend to I tend to agree. I think um, I, I think they were better than the last two outings we've seen them. I, I I think that I'm quite sure of that. Um, I think they were better in defence. I think we allowed them some. They they had some good moments in those previous games. Let's not deny that. But are they yeah, better in defence, or are they just defending a different situation? That's what I'm trying to. Yeah, yeah, that might be it. Like the the idea. If you of what's put happening. if you put if you put Bournemouth in the same situation as they were in previous fixtures, where they're not quite as they're not being, not playing quite high, as high up the pitch, and they're maybe not having as much joy kind of pinning that opposition opponent back do you then do you then still see an improvement in their defensively or are you kind of left in the same situation because I do think you can play through them if you can get control of that midfield and if you can if you can kind of set those traps at fullback and allow them to push on a little bit there's a lot of weaknesses in them fullback areas too they do leave space and I think they are a team you can hurt it's it's just uh I think it just I think everything just kind of fell in their favor I'm not saying it was all luck by any means but um, I think they just managed to kind of get that impetus in the game and it, it just went their way. Yeah, I, I think Woodgate shocked me a little bit. I've probably alluded to it before. I think um, his game plan was better than I was expecting. I, um, in the run-up, it's really hard to gauge how they're going to approach stuff and they try not to give too much away without, whilst also giving 
interesting quotes and um, looking forward to the game and stuff but I think they got a lot of it right actually just the positioning how deep they sat and then when they attacked attacking well and just just being safe enough whilst also looking for those counter-attacking opportunities like it was it, it worked out well for them and they got their they got their rewards from that big moment um I think Pearson and uh Pearson and Brooke, well Brooks obviously we know how talented he is but I think Pearson was good and just that just that screening role next to Lerma I think he took a little bit of the burden away from Lerma compared to when Wilshire played um Wilshire was obviously just much less of a mobile player wants the ball but you're not seeing many you're not seeing many sprints to cover position you're not seeing much defensive output from him he's he's he is what it is now he's like towards the end of his like elite career um so you see a little bit of a difference with where Pearson can pick up the ball but also how he can win fouls how he can um I just pick up attacking players and also just understand the defensive side of the game much better. So he he was really effective as well. And I think playing him conceded a little bit and that itself lent to Bournemouth being a little bit more of a counter-attacking unit. Um, yeah, so they I, I think they did. I think I'm leaning towards improvements and um, it's, there's a bit for Frank to think about in the next tie. Um I think we move into some individuals now because there were some there were some good performances there were some okay performances and I think they're probably more okay than than good exceptional. Um let's start with let's start with Fossey. So Fossey has almost developed a role in itself now. We call it like the Fossey role. He's playing at the peak of a diamond behind the front two where he can move left and right and pick up the ball basically anywhere in the final third. Like what what did you think of him? How did you, how do you think he he fared? You know, I think I think it's I really enjoy him as a player honestly. I think him, his inclusion to the team in recent weeks, for years, has been a real, a real plus. And I think if I had one one criticism, I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him play a little bit more centrally at times. I'd like to see him kind of make those runs through the middle and, and try and kind of really give the the back line something else to think mm-hmm. about. I think obviously if you're playing in a in a back three system, you're not going to have that that kind of strength in numbers in wide areas. You're going to want to have some support to kind of help those wing backs. And I think Fossey fits that role quite naturally, um, given kind of his his more natural position as a wide man but I, I do think he's someone that can contribute in forward areas going forward through the middle especially when you're struggling a little bit to kind of move those two centre backs around I thought I thought Tony and Force could have done with some help and I think he would have been a good option for that even if it kind of maybe puts two players in in your front two that aren't naturally the most comfortable in wide areas they don't have to go too too wide but it does give some alternative runs for defence to think about um, and, and that would be something I'd like to see a little bit more from him. We've talked about before when we've discussed systems that play that kind of three-five-two shape or you know, different variations. That that player in midfield, that kind of tip of the middle, he, he's someone that can really influence things and dictate how that offensive build-up goes. And I think he, I think I want to see him have a little bit more impact um, in the next game, which he, he'll probably have more of an opportunity to. And I can understand too because there's a little bit of space there which he, he actually kind of wants to try and exploit. But for me, the worry when you're looking at that that Brentford team playing against a Bournemouth defensive line as they have my worry is how do you disrupt those two centre-backs and I don't want to see too much of this kind of two-on-two backing into each other and and just kind of making these kind of one-on-one duels I want to see a little bit more of a stretch of that back line in the next game I think Fossey's probably probably key to that because he didn't quite do enough of it in this one for me yeah it's interesting actually because I think there were improvements when Marcondes came on Marcondes is in that role like he's a little bit more so so Fosu is a winger like he's he's a wide player so naturally he's at home on those as you were saying like he's natural 
he's naturally at home just moving out wide and then picking the ball up and then just jinking a little bit and then but he's also just really good at holding on to the ball and giving us a, a stable base upfield so he, he's got a lot of qualities there but Marcondes is a little bit different with his um, he's played as a number nine much of his career as well he's a little bit more like that traditional attacking midfield movement getting beyond a forward and there aren't many of them now that do this but he is one of the players that are very good at that so he's just got many more striker instincts I think just more attracted to the goal like getting those tap-ins and and um, he's cute around the box, but also just getting beyond. And he did actually have, I think he forced the on-target shot, actually. I think it was his. Um, that Has there ever been any consideration of him partnering um, partnering Tony, playing a little bit deeper, partnering him? Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably gone through their minds. I, I think um, just the problem we have now is there's just there's wingers galore that need to play. There's also, mm-hmm. I think they like him centrally and a little bit deeper because he's got good drive and he's he's just a smart player. And I think we are a better team when he plays. Actually, the problem is that you've got to get him, Yanelt, Jensen, Norgard. There's just yeah. too many of them into the midfield, and you you have to try and um, you know how to use them, but. Um, maybe we'll do a Marcondes explore, exploration another time because I, I don't know how much longer he's going to be at Brentford. He might be on to bigger, better things. We'll see. We'll see. Um, another one I wanted to pick up on was uh, Roselev. So a lot of the game is out wide um, for Brentford. He was he was in and out of the game. I think um, I I think um, some of his one on one attacking, like Kelly, definitely got the like Kelly had um, had him under control. I think he watched the ball well and nipped in when he needed to. Um, we didn't see much space for him given down that left-hand side, considering how much Kelly pushed on forward and um, how much they attacked. Um, but there was a defensive moment, like the, the two big counter-attacks for Bournemouth. The one in the first half where Solanke picked up the ball and was, I think it was from a corner actually, um, Solanke ran almost half the pitch and Rosedale was the only player back, shepherding um, the ball that Solanke had to play and just saying, if you're, going, you, you're not playing it to this player, like you're just going to have to run. And it was almost like Virgil van Dijk-esque when, yeah. when I think a few months ago, yeah. maybe when, it might have been actually last season, I think Mane had a chance and when when Mane first received the ball, you're thinking he's just got a clean run to goal here. But when the actual strike comes in, the defending is so good, you're just waiting, waiting, and then you know when to commit at the right time. Almost like um, American football, where you just wait, wait, and then just swipe your player out yeah, at the yeah. right moment. You're reducing the, the chance quality to just a fraction of what it probably would be or should be if you don't make the right defensive calls. And Roeslev did it perfectly. It was Yanelt that actually intercepted the ball in the end, but Roeslev um, reduced the the mindset of the move. So I was just really impressed with that. I think he didn't get away greatly in attack, but defensively, um, I think he did save Brentford a couple of times. Um, Tony, uh, do you want to add anything on Roeslev quickly? No, I think he kind of hit it all there. He's just a smart defender, isn't he? I think he, he uses his body well and he kind of, he shuts down space really well. He, he just he just does a good job of forcing def- uh, forcing attackers into positions that he wants them to play in. And I, I just think he's a, he's a nice balanced fullback or, or wingback as, as you've been using him recently. I think maybe as you say, attacking wise, perhaps has to contribute a little bit more, but I think he kind of, you kind of roll with that based on how, how good he can be defensively for you. Let's pick out the forward line. I think they're largely they're quite quiet in this game. Um, Force we've spoken about previously. Like I think he struggled to get into the game positionally. I, I think he had one of the lowest number of touches in the match, which which sort of explains that away. Um, needs to adjust his position if he's not getting into the game. But maybe that maybe he is told to just wait. Um, but Tony as well. Like um, what do you think of Tony's performance? Do you how do you how do you see him playing? Yeah, I think he was fine. I just think. You want to see? I just want to see more adjustments to getting him into the game. I want to see. I want to see more of a plan to get him in there. I think that comes through force for me. I, I think he, 
he needs to be taking pressure off. He needs to be allowing Tony some space, and we have to find ways to find him because there's too, there's too similar. I think the way they're both being deployed together, it's a little bit too similar for me. Um, Tony's actually been dropping off a little bit deeper. There are quite a few occasions when you were getting the ball forward. It was Tony who was the one that was dropping a little bit deeper and playing the ball into your wing backs or you know, the kind of wider midfielder areas of Fosu. And I think it, you just lack a little bit when you can't, you want him to be more active in the box. You want him to be there. You want him to be, kind of be that focal point. I think I'd like to see a little bit more support from Force. And it's nothing against Force. I do like him as a player. I, I just think that we're just seeing too much similarity. And that's why I'm talking about Fossey too. I'm looking at options and looking at ways to try and find opportunities to disrupt that defence. I think you're just playing a little bit too easy and making it a little bit too comfortable for that Bournemouth back line. Um, I think they want to be playing in those kind of one-on-one situations. And, and they had that too much to the game. I don't think there's quite enough done to really, really exploit some of those weaknesses. And maybe you could ask more of Tony, but for me, you just want him around the box. You want him around the goal, don't you? I, I'm not sure that... I'm not sure that was done quite enough by Brentford. Yeah, I, th- I think you're onto something with force. I, I think there was improvements when Mbemo came on. Um, maybe a, a bit more of a tired defence, um, maybe a little bit more central movement running beyond. Um, it, it just looked a little bit fresher. It looked a little bit more effective. And I, I don't know if that, I think the scoreline may have helped with that, with how deep Bournemouth were at that point or, or just a change in mindset. But Abemo did look a little bit more dangerous when he came on compared to Force. Uh, maybe we did go a bit shorter. The, the midfield changed construction a little bit. But there was a moment where, um, again, Abemo, we, we spoke about him quite a lot in the beginning, but I, there was a moment where he got in and he was beyond Carter Vickers. And then somehow, I, I have no idea how, but Carter Vickers manages to yank him back and get around the front mm. and then make a good def- uh, a good tackle to get the ball away. Um, I'm thinking there that um, A.M. is far too honest in just the idea of getting staying on his feet and trying to get a shot away. Should he go down earlier? Or, yeah. or is... Has, is that just him again as well? Like just not being ruthless enough in that moment and just not finishing and letting the defender get back in? Yeah, you know, actually, I think just even just using that word ruthless, I'm not trying to get on like cliches and, and stuff like that and kind of go down that route. But I do think that is something I see a little bit lacking in that, in that uh, Brentford front line at times. I want to see a little bit more, almost a little bit more of what you see of ben, Brentford uh, from oh God, too, many, too many B teams. <laughs> almost what you see a little bit more from Bournemouth. But they, yeah. they are kind of, they will go down a little bit easier and they will kind of they will kind of get some fouls away and they'll be a little bit more aggressive and I'm not trying to say aggressive get into them kind of thing I'm just saying like maybe a little bit more a little bit smarter in your forward play and you might find a little few more options I think that's another thing with force too I just don't quite see some of those little those little adjustments you might want from your striker to kind of find space or, or kind of win that battle against his centre-back I think there's a little bit to go there with him even though he's got that raw talent he's clearly a good footballer um, but that's just one part of his game I think in Buemo too there are things that he could be doing to win free kicks there and find opportunities for your team mm. it's just a, there's just a couple of little little differences in there you'd like to see and I think maybe Bournemouth that's an area they've actually kind of really almost won the game in, in some ways they've managed to find those little marginal gains and that in a playoff game that can be the difference that's a broad statement that to bastard, make. I'm not trying to say no, it's, as a whole, not, it's but. not. It's it's spoken about like quite a length about Brentford. Whether there's enough like of that bastard, like just just getting something over the line, like that red fire. Is there enough in this team? And I think they thought they solved that with Tony, but it it's still so might counterintuitive to what we do as well. The kind of how we discuss the game in general mm. is is very counterintuitive to talk about these factors, but they do play a part. Um, and. It's difficult because I think I think maybe it's just a it's, it's a cultural thing too, isn't it? It, it? it changes depending, and there's so many factors that play a part into into how you perform on the pitch. But I think those things 
they can't be completely overlooked because they do have an impact on the game and they clearly do and if you can use them to to benefit you then you, you should be doing so it's just it just doesn't really fit the culture of the players and the club really to, to kind of go down that route but it's something Bournemouth have done for a long time um, especially under Eddie Howe and it's it's something that you, they, they use to their advantage for sure. I, I don't really see Brentford doing that as much, which, you know, in some ways is admirable. Um, I don't, you don't particularly like to see it from your team in, in some occasions, but on the other hand, you want to win the game and there are some areas that you could you can kind of do that to your benefit. Yeah, as we um, start to start to move towards the latter parts, um, let's get some negatives out of the way. I think um, I think there are a couple. Um before we move on to the positives, like what? How would you, if you, if you're assessing that, if you're like on the coaching staff or or analysing that game, what would you, what would you find like a, an obvious negative? Uh, Brentford negative. Um, for me, I think it was just it was too reactive. I think too much of the game was reactive. Even though you had that possession, you had more possession, you had more of the ball, but it wasn't quite as intense in that build up. Mm. I thought you weren't kind of cutting through as, as you normally could do. I think maybe things were a little bit too cautious. Um, and when you're a possession-based team, if you're cautious, it can become quite methodical. Uh, I think generally Brentford have been quite good at playing with that that right balance of control, but having a bit of risk there too to kind of find that space. Um, I think I think Bournemouth just kind of overwhelmed you guys a bit. Um, it didn't quite allow you to settle and kind of play to your play to your normal fundamentals. And I think that's the, the thing I'd really want to see from Brentford is is kind of getting the occasion out of their mind and just playing playing their style. Because you've worked so hard to develop a, a philosophy in that club. I think you want to be able to see it in these big occasions because that's what's got you there. That's the reason why you're in the playoffs is because of this kind of, this way you've played over a number of years now mm. and over the course of the season to kind of get into that position. I think things just went a little bit too off plan. Um, that's kind of one criticism, criticism I'd have. In terms of actual... Kind of coaching and what's going on in the field, I'd say also it's just the use of that front two for me. I think you've got to find ways to to get more of a balance there and and just find some different options. Whether that's Fossey supporting, whether that's Force playing a slightly different role, whether that's Tony playing a slightly different role, I want to see a little bit more variation there, and I want to see a little bit more uh, more of an attempt to kind of influence things in that area because for me it was left a little bit too much alone. There wasn't an, an adjustment made quick enough, and I think that did hurt you, um, especially because there were occasions you had chances against Bournemouth. There were there were times you could you could have got into scoring positions and it just was lacking that final piece. Yeah, I, I had force, uh, force anonymity on mine. Um, I think the the shot side of things were disappointing them. I think you can't really, it's not really us going into games and just having like one shot on target or, or just most of them going wide. I, th- I think they, they'll be a little bit disappointed with how much they've affected the, that Bournemouth back line. Like that will frustrate them. I think um, they'd have expected that comes from game. midfield, doesn't it? As well, that comes from that comes from penetrating them. And I think I don't think I don't think that front line made it makes it easy for your for your midfielders to get the ball forward. Sometimes, especially if they're not getting that if they're not getting that kind of forward play from your wing backs, so they're being pushed back quite a lot. They're having to respect that break from Bournemouth, which they were. They're actually playing a little bit deeper. I think you can only, you only really have those central options to play through sometimes. And if they're not giving you that, that opportunity, it becomes very difficult to kind of play forward and be incisive. And naturally you end up with a lot of that possession in midfield or across your back line that just becomes, you know, something we talked about previously. It's, it's very easy to make a back three uh, system a negative one. Uh, and that can be self-inflicted, but it also can be done by the opponent too. And I think that's maybe what we saw a little bit from from that Bournemouth game. Yeah, and I think positives as well, like... Um... Like this game's so tight. Like um, it's one nil. It's it's really 
going into the home tie I mean Brentford not much will change for them they'd, they'd, have, they'd think they'd need to score two goals at home to do it in normal time if they only score one I think the idea would have been yeah this is probably going to extra time so I don't think too much has changed in terms of like game plan or or overall idea about how the games would have gone um, but positives I think to see I think seeing Rico Henry and Dalsgaard on the pitch is definitely big positives um, the physicality of Dalsgaard like once he gets I, th- I think we when you haven't seen him playing for a while and you've just had Roslev there, you get kind of used to um, how Roslev attacks and then you think this is just all our right wing is. But really, Dalsgaard is, would be perfect in that right centre-back position because he has got that, that push and run or that drive. Just drop a shoulder quickly and if, if you come up against a static midfielder, you can just move on and gain yourself 20, 30 yards up the field. He's, he's really good at that and we saw a little bit of that as soon as he came onto the pitch. Um, so that's definitely positive seeing him. Um, uh, yeah, I said the game's just still so tight. It's not like it's escaped. There'll be confidence about what they can do going back. And um, also something um, we spoke about prior to coming on, like Bournemouth's time wasting. Like what? It's, it's a bizarre. It's a bizarre move to make such so early on in this tie. Like we're only the the fact that Bournemouth think they need or that's a that's a usable tactic at this stage shows that there is a fear that they could concede goals here and they don't expect to keep clean sheets. So yeah, there's, there's a few things that would definitely um, give, um, give Frank to, uh, some positive thoughts. Um, do you have any others to add to that? No, I think that's, I think that's pretty spot on. I, I touched on that time wasting thing too, because we were kind of discussing it a little bit before we started recording, but um, yeah, it's, it's a strange one. Like I understand the instincts of the players in that situation, but yeah, I mean, I do think if you're talking about positives, I think the one real positive for me is the fact that, I think coming to coming to the reverse fixture now, I, I think that mentality, that approach from Bournemouth, I don't think it translates into the second fixture anywhere near the same. I don't think they're going to go there with it either. Um, I think we're going to see a much different Bournemouth side. And if I'm trying to think about the matchup of a Bournemouth side that are, naturally it's going to be impossible to take the fact that you're winning 1-0 out of your mind. You're going to be a little bit more conservative. You're not going to play that same level of aggression and intensity you were playing with at home uh, in the fixture when you're kind of 1-0 up and you're trying to you're trying to win that game. I don't think you'll be able to co- convey that into that second fixture. Um, and if I'm looking at those two teams there, Brentford that maybe have a little bit, well, they have more time to prepare. They're, they're kind of sitting on this frustrating result for a week. You could easily see it being more than one goal from Brentford. So... I wouldn't be too concerned at this stage. As frustrating as it is, not you know, I'm a Watford fan. I've been in the situation we've lost the first leg of a playoff game before, and it's frustrating. And I know that feeling of just kind of waiting for that second game to start. But I don't always think it's a negative thing for the players, especially with the one goal margin. Um, that week break for a team that's kind of looking to a hold what they've got, maybe kind of extend it a little bit, but you, you know you're kind of sitting on something. It's a, it's a week of anticipation. It's quite uncomfortable. On the flip side of that, someone like Brentford, you've got a week to kind of really prepare now, or less than a week, a few days to really prepare now. And it's you're thinking about it this whole time. I think I think it often leads to these opposition, sorry, the team that's losing to come out of the traps pretty fast. And that can lead to those early goals and it can really explode from there. So I, I don't think there's too many negatives to take from it in some ways. Yes, you're one nil down, but it's, it's, it's one goal and it's, very achievable that you'll uh, you'll turn this around so I think it's just focusing on what you can do in the next game rather than what happened in this one too much following on from that then how do you how do you approach a second leg like are you do you think of it as this is this is a tra- it's all a travesty like you're down or is it more as you were like Frank's got so many options now and I, I think um, 
I think there's actually too many options. I think he's got too many decisions to make in the final third. I think the midfield, there's a lot of decisions to make there. He's also got two um, defenders who operate almost like um, sort of auxiliary attackers anyway. They're involved in the attacking play. But he's got a lot of decisions to make. Um, how does he pick the right one? And what does he what does he do to like wrestle back this second leg? Um, what would you do? Would you keep it the same? Would you make changes? Would you bring a few in? I think there's some flexibility there. I think you could go either way. I think you can make a few changes if you want to, if you feel there's some, some better options. But I think for me, the the real the real thing, the real kind of staple on kind of winning this game, the biggest fundamental would be to kind of continue with the way you've been playing. I know it didn't work perfectly against Bournemouth in the in this first game, but I do think, given the circumstances of the second, I think that's the way you beat them. Still, I'm still pretty confident that it's a good matchup for you. I I think you'll be able to break them down. I think playing against a more defensive, cautious Bournemouth. I think there's going to be opportunity. I think with that patience through the middle, kind of get those wide men into play a little bit more and, and maybe a couple of adjustments up front. And uh, I could see it definitely being not comfortable, but much more much more threatening at least than you were in that first fixture. So I wouldn't be looking to, to change shape or make you know massive, mass, massive amounts of changes. There are a few adjustments that could be made, but I still think you're in, in a good position. I'm not overly concerned about, about the current situation. I think you can turn things around without too, too many adjustments. That's interesting, yeah. So I, I think you're you're leaning towards stick with the three five two. Maybe there's a couple of personnel tweaks within that to make. Yeah, I definitely keep the shape. Personally, I definitely keep the shape. I don't think it's a bad. Ma- I think it's a good matchup as long as you're doing the, as long as you're doing the things within that three five two which are required. And we've seen that Brentford can do it. Um, it's not like you're incapable of doing so. It's just actually getting on the pitch and executing that, mm. and and also being conscious of of the decisions you have to make and the adjustments you have to make, but nothing is going to make you more aware of them than losing 1-0 in the first leg. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think the more I thought about it, I'm leaning towards um, a couple of things that a couple of like results of the formation and shape may have alarmed them a little bit, like just how, uh, unless you just ease back, like how high the answer was caught up the pitch, um, how easy it was for Bournemouth to counter-attack. Um, those things, they'd, they already have those... The, the preventative things for those things are already there, but they've still occurred. Um, and I, I just think Henry being back now might lend towards a little bit of a change of shape. Like we talk about formations in like fours, fours, twos, two, three, ones and stuff. But essentially Brentford build up in a back three. They they move into a four to defend. You rarely see them in the back five, like with all five back. It's you're building up in like a three or and moving away from a four. In the next phase, in the next line, you've got a couple of players. In the next line, you've got three. It doesn't really matter how you get there. But players within these formations are what actually is important. So you don't want to play four centre-backs in your back line because you're never going to get the forward or you're not going to get any rotations it's with Henry being back now it's getting a little bit confusing in that do we do we play one of those attackers in wing back in a wing back role or do we actually let Henry play on the left and just move forward and attack from left back in a back four moving back to the 4-3-3 and and I think how well Bournemouth defended against force and how anonymous he was in this game might make them think again about like playing a front three and just moving away from this two because this is it now there's no there's no pissing about now this this is you've got to play your best team you've got 90 minutes now potentially it could go to extra time but it also could be ended in 90 how are you going to get the most shots away how are you going to suppress Bournemouth and and get shots away yourself and um like good shots and I, I don't know if um what they got from seeing force on the pitch in that first match would be enough for him to start in the second. But is there a balance of three four three in there? 
Possibly, yeah. That's that's a that's a, that's a shape Frank has liked a lot in the past. Yeah, he prefers. I think um, the three five two is only because Canos and, and Bomo are just so woeful, and I think they had to get force into the team, and it worked out well. Three four three would be his ideal if he could trust those wingers more. But then, who does he select in midfield? There's still there's still big selection issues to make there, isn't there? Could you play Yanley and, and Jensen in kind of the midfield too, and then allow Foster as one of those more forward wide players? Yeah, I think that. Uh, do you mean? Oh, yeah. So they could do. Yeah, we could see Fosu out wide. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised at that. I, think, I mean, you don't um, have to. The thing is, too. Obviously, we're talking about formations. But you've, if for example, you played that. If you if, let's just say you had, let's just say you had a three four three. You had the kind of similar situation, but you have Fosu playing as one of the wide men. You can maybe keep, you can maybe keep Canos as a as a kind of more wing back player if you want to, or you can play him as the further forward left on the left. Kind of however you want to decide if you bring the silver in, then you can you can reshape all these things, but. If Fosu is one of those wide men, you only have to make well, you're only one change away from changing that back to what you're playing anyway, and just allowing one yeah. of those wider players up in that that forward area. And you know maybe you don't want maybe you don't want the likes of Canos playing essentially alongside Tony, but on the other hand, it might give you something a little bit different. And I think if you can have some flexibility within that shape without changing personnel, you obviously got the options of making subs. But if you can change that shape accordingly. I mean, I think it's definitely something to consider because you you want to find routes to go on. If you can if you can change that at any moment on the pitch, then I think that's a positive because you can decide to do that after ten minutes. You can switch back after fifteen. You can have different options, and I think I'll be looking at ways to do that, especially if you want to have, kind of have some more of a threat from a wide position and also maybe maybe double up on some of them wide areas. I would understand if you feel that the best way of defending Bournemouth is to have two players on each flank. Uh, to kind of compensate for the height that they're getting from Adam Smith and kind of the, that narrow. This is a problem too, because if you've got someone like Brooks that's drifting in, it's very difficult to cover um, without kind of drawing that inside centre back in or pulling that, that wing back in and not leaving that space for Smith. And, you know, it, it can be a difficult balance to find. Maybe they feel more comfortable having those two out wide on either side, and that might be a route you go down. But I don't think, I think those things should be open. You'd like to see Frank have an open mind to that. Um, that would be something I'd be. Quite, quite happy to see a few guys mm. oh to be a, a head coach eh? it's, yeah I know. it's not easy it's not no, easy it's not. um i'll finish off last one uh can brentford do it and reach a second final in two years i think they can I, i'm i'm pretty i'm pretty confident i i don't i just don't see how bournemouth approach this game without without kind of being slightly negative and I, I just don't think I think the only way Bournemouth win this game is if they approach it the same way they did in the first leg and I just don't see them doing it um, I see you guys breaking them down it will be maybe a slightly slow start but I, I do see I do see Brentford coming away with uh, kind of the, the ticket to the final I'm, I wish yeah I, I don't know where I sit I think there's just a weird numbness about football at the moment where I'm just struggling to get massively excited or feel too down it's just that's a, it just that's sort a of feels like it's happening that's, that's a mechanism to kind of save your save your mind from the stress right there save you the emotionally yeah I'm um, sure I, if I, you I'm sure if you win you'll be straight back into it <laughs> Yeah, rabid and yeah, straight back into it completely. I, I think another thing as well, like um, as much as even I'll, I'll probably end how I started it. Like the outcome can change how you view these matches. Um, from set pieces, Bournemouth were abysmal. I think um, Brentford mm. were 
every contact it felt like every first contact was Brentford's um, the knockdowns as well it, yeah the knockdowns didn't fall to Brentford but the scrambles afterwards had to be dealt with I mean Bournemouth may have done better in that second phase but it just seems so easy like um, are Bournemouth even watching Brentford's set pieces probably not I, I mean I jest I think they are but yeah. I, they didn't deal with them well and lots of teams have struggled but you can't it'd be difficult to think of Bournemouth defending and getting away with all of those in the same in another 90 minutes like uh, Brentford are going to score yeah. I'd be surprised if it's nil uh, they draw I just don't blank. see I just don't see Bournemouth I can't see Bournemouth containing for that long I just I just can't at this point I mean obviously it could be wrong it can happen there's you know stranger things have happened but I think if you're looking at likelihood it's hard to really see them hanging on for that long a period of a game I mean it's it's 90 minutes we're talking about here you can't sit on a 1-0 Bournemouth have to be going there to, I think to, for, Bournemouth to call, uh, to, for Bournemouth to go through to the final I think they have to score again and then I'm not convinced they will yeah I don't uh, yeah it's um, it's tough to call isn't it and I think on that note it's um, yeah we just um, wish Brentford luck and uh, hopefully we come out of the right side of this um, Jordan that's been awesome thanks so much for your input in these um, who knows it'd be great to chat to you again before um, a final but we, we may not have the, the privilege of that but yeah Jordan's um, great guys uh, he does some great viz online a lot of Watford persuasion which you'll have to um, accept but <laughs> it's still awesome <laughs> stuff and there's a lot of um, other other players and wider scouting as well Jordan just remind us like some of the bits you do and like where we can find you online yeah, I, I do quite a few uh, non-Watford things too, or you know, <laughs> kind of try to try to broaden my horizons a little bit and talk about some players that maybe I'd like Watford to sign or we're perhaps linked to. Which sometimes there's a Brentford crossover there too. So yeah, yeah, if you are interested for some reason, if you just want to have a look at some Watford stuff, then yeah, please come over to Watford Analytics at Jordan Weimer on Twitter, um, and yeah please feel free to listen to the uh, Watford Buzz podcast as well if you want even more Watford content for some strange reason. Um, yeah. <laughs> it feels like we've connected, there's been a quite a crossover this season, I think because it's been, it felt like somewhat of a two-horse race for that automatic promotion spot, that yeah. second spot. For such large portion, portions, it feels like there's been some sort of, uh, some sort of kinship between the two clubs in a weird way mm. for me. Yeah, basically Jordan's softening the blow for when Brentford don't go up and he does all these scout reports on Brentford players that are going to be moving to, to Watford on the cheap because um, of a pandemic and uh, Brentford needing to sell players. But no, I just, it's been great chatting to you. I really enjoyed it, um, getting your opinions. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say, but just come on Brentford. This is it. Yeah, good luck, minutes, man. I'll be watching keenly for you. I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping you get to the final. It'd be great to... Great to do this again, discussing the kind of build up to a final. That'd be that'd be amazing. So, fingers crossed, man. I think I think you're gonna do it. I'm I'm quietly confident, but I don't want to jinx you either. So, <laughs> no, no, no jinxing, no jinxing. <laughs> <laughs> but great stuff. Um, yeah, again, like watch words B's tactical. Just search for us on Twitter. Um, there's the Substack. There's the Patreon. Um, there's the podcast. You can do all sorts of supporting um, to keep more of these things going on and yeah like review share and yeah come on you Brentford
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.